0: Hey, my name is Tom and I am the lead pastor here at Crossroads and I am coming to you today from my home office and I am really glad that you decided to join us wherever it is you might be joining us from. I want to get us started today with a question. Have you ever had to confront or address an angry mob? Well, maybe not really an angry mob, but um, maybe what might have felt like an angry mob, like your upset children or a disgruntled PTA member, or really opinionated, outspoken teen parent? What about confronting someone in power? Not, not like the president, but maybe somebody at least more power than you, like your boss. Or how about checking someone's behavior who should know better? That could be like any relationship ever, right? This week in Acts chapter 14, we're going to see how two of the apostles were able to do all of the above and more. And more importantly, we're going to find out why they were able to do that, before we push ahead, we're going to need to set some context. And David did a great job last week introducing to, to us what some people refer to as Paul's first missionary journey. By telling us about how excited God is to have us in his kingdom with him. Religious, irreligious, close to God, far from God, relationship with God is possible through Jesus. And that relationship with Jesus is the culmination of all of God's promises. And God doesn't do that just to keep his promises. But he does that because he wants us in his relationship. That's the message that Paul and Barnabas were delivering throughout um, that first missionary journey. And man, were these guys busy. I'm going to pop a map up here for you just so you can get an idea. They were all over the northeastern Mediterranean throughout the years 46, 47, 48 AD. And we need to remember that at this point, missions work was a new thing. Um, Religious groups, regardless of what God they worshipped, they were not actively trying to take their particular views outside of their own communities. But that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They were so in love with Jesus, so compelled by this great news that they wanted to go share it with everybody. And they had the blessing of the church in Jerusalem to do so. So they're off traveling around the northeast Mediterranean and as they go they teach and they're telling and they're retelling the story of God and his people, God's pursuit of his people who seem to be always taking wrong turns and heading off the path and God bringing them back on and wanting to be with his people. And one of the key ways that Paul and Barnabas do this is David Cherlis is they um, they share this message of fulfilled prophecy. The Old Testament, the Bible as it existed, as Paul and Barnabas were traveling, was filled with the prophecy of a Savior for the nation of Israel, a Savior who would bring blessings not just to Israel, but to the whole world. And their teachings were accompanied by amazing signs and wonders, what the Bible refers to them. These were healings and miracles and even acts of divine judgment. These two years were marked by amazing successes in preaching the good news of Jesus to others and having others come to know Jesus. And they were also marked by literally near-death experiences as the two traveled around. Today, we're going to look at one account that I think is really indicative of this whole first journey. There's so much that we can learn from this this account we find in Acts chapter 14. We're going to read verses 8 through 20. Here we go. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them to Paul and Barnabas. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd, shouting, "Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing sorry. We are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God." who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown his kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills, you, fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Wow, talk about an emotional roller coaster. We're gonna, we're gonna um, in the middle of that emotional roller coaster is this one verse, verse 15, that we're gonna focus on, and it's got some incredible implications for us today. Paul and Barnabas bring a challenging message they bring, uh, the way they bring that message is also important, but of ultimate importance is who that message is about. So what was so challenging about the message that they were bringing? It's in this, it's in verse 15 that we hear Paul say to the crowds, turn from these worthless things, basically anything other than a relationship with the one true creator God through Jesus. At that time, it was the God's, who we know from mythology, Zeus, Hermes, all those guys, those gods received worship. They received sacrifices. People thanked them when things went well. When it looked like things were not going to go so well, they asked for help. And when things went badly, the people assumed that they had done something wrong and they had displeased the gods. Today, we tend not to think of other things as gods, but they sure do act like them in our lives. What do I mean by that? Well, so... If you think of how I often define the term worship for you, right? Responding to the greatness and glory of God. That's what worship is. So if you think about the people's reactions, they were responding to what they believe to be God's in front of them. Well, What is it that creates the most passionate response in you? Right? So what are the other things in your life? Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? Your job? Maybe a pastime? Maybe for some unknown reason, the patriots? Maybe it's food. Maybe it's something a little bit darker, like pornography or alcohol. So thinking of it in terms of what we respond to is one way. If that's not really connecting or making sense, try this on. To whom or to what do you turn first for direction? What is that you turn to first for comfort? Or maybe for understanding? What about for provision? What about for meaning? Now think about that thing or person. What sacrifices do they require? They require your time, too much of your time, your effort, more effort than you have to give, money, self-respect, maybe that makes you do things that you wouldn't have otherwise done, your health. God is the only one who can perfectly provide us with meaning and guidance and direction and purpose God created us. He created us with the need for him built right in, but we still try to fill it up with those other meaningless things. So I'm going to push pause here for just a second because 98% of the time I do realize the things that come out of my mouth. And I realize that I just compared perhaps some very important people to you, your spouse or your kids to worthless things. But before you jump off the live stream or, or write an email, let's, Try to put this in context. As the source of everything, as the source of sustenance, identity, direction, peace, when compared to the God of the universe, anything else is indeed worthless at being God. Your children, your spouse, your job, food, sex, all those things are gifts from God. But when we put them in the place in our lives reserved for God, we render them worthless. Right? So the the message that they were bringing was turn from these worthless things, friends, turn from these worthless things to the living God, the creator God. Now, the next thing that we need to look at is how they delivered that message. They delivered that message with boldness and with humility. Paul and Barnabas stood up to governmental leaders. They stood up and confronted angry mobs. They stood up to religious experts. But at the same time, They did all those things with boldness. At the same time, they were humble enough to tear their clothes when the mob tried to worship them as if they were God. What does that mean, tear their clothes? It doesn't really, it just sounds bizarre to us right now. But the original audience would have understood that gesture as a representation of anguish and mourning. Being compared to God, stealing God's glory was as distressing to Paul and Barnabas as if they had lost a loved one. The boldness here is, is specific to free speech and candor. Free speech and candor. Just saying it, telling it like it is. It is, however, so much more than that. As we look at its use throughout the book of Acts, this is a boldness that comes from God, not theological or rhetorical training. And even Paul, who had some training, was operating way above his pay grade in the things that he was saying and the things that he was doing. We look back at some of the earlier passages in Acts. We look at how uh, the apostles and the disciples were referred to as unschooled, ordinary men. It's a boldness that comes from God. The humility here is talking about not stealing God's glory. It's talking about pointing people to God as God instead of drawing attention to ourselves for our own glorification. I don't know about you guys, but... They were doing some pretty amazing things. They were healing people. They were preaching. They were being followed by thousands and thousands of people. I would have had a hard time with that not going to my head. So they delivered the message with boldness and humility. But it's the source of the message that allows them to do that, to act with boldness and humility. Here's what I'd like you to take from this, from this passage, this account of Paul's first missionary journey. The boldness and humility both come from knowledge. I want you to think back a couple weeks and remember when I introduced you to Paul, I suggested to you that it was the knowledge of God that brought him to a place of contentment in a Roman jail cell at the end of his life. It was also his knowledge of God that helped him to do the work in the in-between time. It helped him do the work of God that was put in front of him. My son Jake and I kind of jokingly have this phrase that we kick around book learning, right? This is not, this knowledge is not fancy book learning at all. Um, I want to read to you from Second Timothy. This is verse uh, 1, or chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says this in writing to Timothy, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day when he, what has been entrusted to me. Paul was in a bad way. He knew he was in a bad way, but he knew who it was in whom he was placing his faith. That knowledge, the biblical language, it's to know from experience. As Dallas Dallas Willard says, it's an interactive relationship. Experience, that's the key word. Experience and relationship. That's what I want us to remember. Their boldness came as they experienced God's faithfulness. Our boldness can come when we experience God's faithfulness. Paul and Barnabas were. Bold because they knew who God was by experience. They were bold because they God had shown himself faithful. We can be bold because God is faithful. When confronted with taking God at his word, when faced with temptation, when troubled by doubt, when attacked by evil and all the forms that it takes in today's world, when sharing God's story, we can be bold because God is faithful. Even when our faith falters or fails, God's does not. We can be bold because God's faith does not fail. And God gives us two great reminders of his faithfulness in himself. He gives us the persons of Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this from Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. What a reminder of God's faithfulness that we have in this. The Son is the image of the invisible God For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's Jesus. That's the great one of the great reminders that we have of God's faithfulness. Maybe the greatest. Jesus is God who lived, died, and rose again for you and for me, that we might be in relationship with him. Jesus didn't give up heaven and eternity so that you and I could just think about God. And while that's important, there's so much more to it than that. That you and I would be so close to Jesus that we could think with him, that we might have the mind of Christ. And that's not just a figure of speech. Before Jesus ascended, he told his followers and the followers that were to come that through the Holy Spirit, the person of God that comes that dwells in each one of us, we would have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us." This means that we can think with God. Through the Spirit, we have His mind in a way that our little brains can handle and comprehend and act upon. Think about, you guys, think about these two great reminders. Jesus is God. And then we have these historically reliable and accurate accounts of his life in the Gospels, and we have extra-biblical historical sources, all that point and validate to the person of Jesus. Then Jesus gives us the gift of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit so that we might boldly live eternal kind of lives here and now into forever. So if boldness comes as we experience God's faithfulness, Humility comes as we experience God's transcendence, God's hugeness, his otherworldliness, the, the part of God that we lack the ability to understand. I always feel kind of silly trying to communicate how indescribable God is. It just seems I don't, almost an, an impossible task. So right now I'm going to trust God at his word, that scripture does not go out empty. And uh, I just, I'm going to read to you some passages that describe God in his transcendence. We're going to start in the book of Jeremiah, Old Testament prophet. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. From the book of Job, this is one of Job's friends talking to him about the knowledge of God. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depth below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. From the book of Ephesians, also written by the Apostle Paul. May you have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This speaks to God's perfect, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. A love that is so far beyond any love that we've ever experienced that it is also indescribable. And finally, we end with this from the prophet Isaiah talking about God's ability to be everywhere at once. His omnipresence. For this is what the, the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy... I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is everywhere; He is always, always with us. His those qualities that I just read to you; those verses. Spend some time with those verses this week. Spend some time in the the um, the, the Corinthians passage. Spend some time in the Colossians passage and meditate on who Jesus is and how great the Holy Spirit is, the gifts that we have that draw us into this place of humility, that draw us into this place of boldness. And when it comes to, comes to humility, um, think, of, think of it this way. This is a quote from Ligonier.org in one of their daily devotionals. When we begin to grasp the immensity and incomprehensibility of the Lord, we begin to see our place in this world, And we are forced to acknowledge our limitations. And acknowledging our limitations is part and parcel of true humility. Boldness comes as we experience God's faithfulness. Humility comes as we experience God's transcendence. As we come to know God, as we experience Him in relationship, we grow in faithfulness. As we experience His faithfulness, we grow in humility. We grow in boldness. Now, um, when I was a younger leader, I was convinced that we needed a deep foundation in what we believe and that I still believe that is very, very important. And by going deep, we would be able to go wide, That that would enable us to reach many, many people who need to know the love of Jesus. What I am learning now that is of equal importance, maybe even more important, is that we need to know through experience, we need to know who it is that we believe in. you and I need to know and grow in the person of Jesus, what he is like and what he is not like. This is so important to us that it's we've built it into our vision statement. Our vision statement is we want to build a community where people come to know and come to know and grow in Jesus in a way that draws others to do the same. The more we grow in the knowledge, the experience of God, the more we grow in things like boldness and humility. The more we grow in the knowledge of God, we, the more we become the people he created us to be. And as we do that together, it's impossible to do it alone, folks. We need to do this in community. As we do it together, we become the church that we were created to be, and we become that disruptive force in the world around us as we bring the divine nature of Jesus with us to those around us. I want to end my time today by just giving you a chance to spend some time um, thinking, meditating, praying about the person of Jesus and and what it is to experience him in all of his different fashions. And we're going to do that um, through the use of one of the Psalms. I'm going to read to you Psalm 138. Ben and Owen are going to kind of play underneath me and As we wrap that up, we're gonna head right into a time of worship and song. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and I will praise your name. For your unfailing love and for your faithfulness, For you have so exalted your solemn decree, that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, You preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hand.